Chapter 2 Modern Lelish Katie took a breath, closed her eyes, and tried to remember everything about the day when she and Renee took shelter in Lelish's modern-day temple. It was only weeks ago, but it seemed like a lifetime since a grenade's explosion inexplicably shifted her time frame. Katie was now just realizing she was recovering from her injuries in ancient times, somewhere around 1300 B.C. Katie and Renee traveled overseas in the 21st century to study an infectious disease of sheep that was spreading to the people of Lalish, a mountain village 60 miles north of Mosul, Iraq. The study was going well. They were able to collect valuable information as many Yasidis had gathered in one place for the fall festival in Lalish's temple. Until Isis invaded. Pushing the horror from her head, Katie remembered that fateful day. Renee was blissfully squeezed between Becca and Chadia in the back seat of a small car. Katie was the bigwig, so she was in the passenger seat as Alex drove them out to the quarantine camp to drop Katie off. This is the last day of the festival, Katie. Are you coming today? Do you want us to wait for you? Renee asked as she collected her bag. No, thank you. I can find a ride when I'm finished here, Renee. I'll catch up with you guys later this morning, okay? Sure. The aid station was busier than before. Ten new patients arrived, and only eight went out yesterday. There was a new person Katie hadn't met sitting at the sign-in table. Hi, I'm Dr. Reynolds. I'm looking for Dr. Sukar. Hello, I am Ibrahim. Dr. Sukar asked me to talk to you. The father, Sule, died this morning. Dr. Sukar is attending to the body right now. Why, what's wrong? Katie asked incredulously. We worked so hard to save him. This is terrible. What about the baby, Wara? Who's taking care of her? A boy, Abdul, is taking care of Wara. He is also caring for his sister, Alpha, who is one year old. How old is Abdul? Six. You have a six-year-old boy taking care of two babies, still in diapers? It isn't right, Ibrahim. Where are Abdul's parents? Dead. They died three days ago. Now Abdul is the only one left to care for Alpha. No, this is wrong, this entire thing. How could this happen? How did Sully die? When I spoke with him, he told me he was going to the showers. I saw him go, yes. He went into the wash area to take showers, yes. After 45 minutes, I heard someone was in the wash area, dead. I followed a woman when she came to find me. He's lying here, she said. He collapsed on his back in the shower stall, dead, naked and dead. Dr. Sukar came out of the decontamination tent in street clothes. What the fuck? Katie yelled at him. Sully died, Jay! She couldn't contain her anger and her disbelief. This happens all the time, Katie! He yelled right back at her, and she started sobbing. He grabbed her and held her tight. She struggled against him, trying to run from this horrible truth, but he wouldn't let her run, wouldn't let her go anywhere, instinctively knowing she needed someone to hold her, to tell her she could live through the nightmare. Katie slowed her sobbing, but Jay continued to hold her until her breathing and heart rate slowed. Steadying her, he kept her close until she quieted and dropped, shaking. I'm sorry, she apologized softly as he let her go. For what? he whispered. My outburst. He smiled at her, shaking his head gently. No apologies are ever expected in such places. It is so hard. How do you get used to it? The same way everyone does. I don't think too hard about it. 
You have allowed the patients to become individuals instead of looking at it from a clinical viewpoint. But remember, Katie, you had no part in this mess. You are here to help those few who would otherwise die. But you know you're going to lose more than half. I know. Maybe you're not ready for this. But I wanted to help. I had no idea I was so fragile. This job is hard enough when it is the only thing you are doing, but you are trying to add it to a list of other things you are responsible for that are just as important. I am sure they need you in the leash. You should go. Will I see you later, maybe? I hope so. Thank you for understanding, Jay. Can you ask someone to drive me to the festival, please? Sure. Have a good time with healthy people. Lose yourself in work. Thank you. Even though Katie felt she failed him, he made her feel so much better. When they drove up to the dirt parking lot closest to the temple, Katie saw an ambulance parked with the back doors hanging wide open. Isn't that one of the camp's ambulances, she asked? Yes, her driver replied. Tahar requested the ambulance. He wanted more, but only one was available. Well, it's a start. The people in Lalish were, unfortunately, going to be seeing a lot of ambulances in the next few weeks. This is fine. I can walk from here. Very good, Dr. Reynolds. She closed the car door and turned to face this other world. It was a world of 3,000-year-old temples. She needed a break. Jay was right. Entering the central courtyard, where the dancers and kewels and priests gathered in front of the temple, she saw Tahar drive past her in a jeep. He went a little way further and parked it between some buildings. Tahar! He turned and smiled when he recognized who it was. She ran over to him. You were able to secure an ambulance. Good for you. I've been hearing more of this cloud coming from the east, from Alex and Renee. I am glad you are here, Dr. Reynolds. Well, thank you, Tahar. Could you take a picture of our squad while we assemble on the temple roof, please? Sure. Are you ready now? Yes, please. Just wait until we are all on top, and don't forget to wipe the raindrops off the lens. He disappeared into the temple. His squad was congregating on the concrete roof above the temple. There was enough room for them all to stand proudly between its spires. Katie looked up and counted fourteen men in military greens. Tahar waved and nodded, and she snapped three pictures. There must have been two squads of Peshmerga, because a handful of others milled downstairs while Tahar's unit was still on top. When his men came out of the temple, Katie noticed a change in the excitement level. Something was happening. The soldiers were more alert. Looking expectantly around them, Alex came up. What's going on, Alex? Tahar says one squad must leave for Sinjar. They have come under gunfire and require backup. His squad will stay because this is their home. The other group came from Sinjar to help during the festival. They watched the Sinjar squad queue up in the courtyard. Are we in danger? Shall we move somewhere? Do something different? Probably not. Sinjar is more than a hundred miles away. It is a two-hour drive, so they must leave now. Hopefully this is a one-time thing. After they left, everything quieted down, but the Lalish soldiers were more alert and focused. Katie saw a group of priests hustle through the courtyard carrying platters of food to the assembly hall. It was finally time to serve the meal. In spite of the increasing cloud cover and the threat of rain, the sanctuary courtyard came alive with the murmur and shuffle of a crowd of hungry people. Good feelings and easy talk floated freely in anticipation of a good meal. Halfway through the feast, the Kewel players, in white priestly garments, finished their song list and withdrew to their sanctuary. 
Other musicians took over the plaza, and new, non-spiritual tunes filled the air. Those who were finished eating jumped up and started a line dance in the large courtyard in front of the temple. The men, dressed in their best suits, and the ladies in their colorful dresses and headscarves, stood in a line facing inward. They hooked their little fingers together and moved their feet in unison to the rhythm of the music. Soon a long line of people, caught together like a happy train, were shuffling around the patio. The priests lit hundreds of olive oil torches as the dark blue clouds, laden with water, caused an early twilight to descend upon Laliche Valley. As fat raindrops spattered onto the stone walkways, Katie looked up at the darkening sky. A thick, cold raindrop plopped onto her cheek. Is it a good or bad sign, she thought. No matter. She was content and happy to be here for the feast. The panic of her mourning was gone. She glanced around, gauging the mood of the people. The faithful didn't seem bothered at all by the soldiers. They were even ignoring the pouting threat of rain, happily exclaiming, rejoicing, and enjoying each other. I'm going to walk around a little, Alex. I'll be back. He nodded and watched her drift away through the throng of the religious Yazidi. She was tired, not physically, but mentally. She walked downwind, letting the wind push her gently downhill toward the parking area, away from the busy mass of people. Her mind was frazzled from speaking in Kurdish, or whatever pigeon type of Middle Eastern language she could call it. Here she was, a female doctor, a highly educated foreigner coming from one primitive culture and immersing herself in another. The people here were borderline literate, bitterly persecuted, severely patriarchal, and devoutly religious. A common concern resurfaced in Katie's mind. What is the use of this study, she thought. How many resources does civilization need to maintain itself? Why can't they stop this thing themselves? It has never been satisfactorily answered anywhere. No society has ever been able to keep itself from failing. People become stupid and greedy, and things fall apart. Katie was a doctor. She knew just placing a Band-Aid on an oozing rot does not stop it from oozing or festering. It only hides the problem. Is there ever a point when it's best not to help, she thought? There is, isn't there? All she knew was they needed her. Their priests, their fakirs and kewels, and their highest community leaders accepted her. Walking through the crowd, Katie felt the acceptance. She noticed people backed up a little when she came near them, but it was because they respected her and were giving her space. Word traveled quickly. The Yazidi knew Katie was there to help, and they welcomed her without hesitation. Katie, have you eaten? Renee nudged her out of her thoughts. She looked up to see him walking beside her. The cooks are serving food in the assembly hall. You want to eat together? You mean like a date? A date with Dr. Renee? She widened her eyes in mock disbelief. How do I rate such an honor? I would have thought I would be fourth. No, probably fifth in your line by now. You know I'm just fooling around, don't you, Katie? He wanted to make sure she understood he remained steadfast. I know you are. Sure, I'm ready to eat. They turned up the valley, heading back into the wind. It had picked up, and small stings of rain slapped her face. She tightened her headscarf, bent her head down, and followed Renee. Suddenly, Katie heard a voice behind her. Doctor! Tahar came running up from the lower checkpoint with another soldier. They stopped, out of breath. Here, you must put this on, he handed her a garment. What is this? Katie held out the piece of clothing to look at it. It was a polyethylene windbreaker jacket, bright blue, with large white letters stenciled on the back that said U.N. The lettering on the front breast pocket explained more clearly, United Nations. Hey, I'm not in the U.N. Put it on. It may save your life. 
Tahar looked worried, his eyes darting back and forth as he spoke. Here's one for you, Rene. Why? What's happening? The first checkpoint has been overrun, Dr. Reynolds. The vehicles are coming this way. Have you seen Alex? Yes. He's in front of the assembly hall. Candy pointed to the crowd of people further up the hill. Nodding tersely, Tahar urged his assistant forward with a nod. Hugging their rifles close to their torsos, they sprinted up the roadway. On the edge of panic, they stopped everyone they ran into, telling them to run and take shelter further up the valley. The rain started to come down harder. Grateful it was waterproof, Katie pulled the jacket tightly around her, losing sight of Tahar while he worked his way deeper into the crowd. Zip up your jacket, Renee. You're going to get wet, Katie turned around looking for anyone left behind. She determined the parking area was empty. We should follow Tahar. Let's go. Katie and Renee ran up the hill and caught up to Tahar and Alex in front of the temple. Alex was clearing people out of the courtyard. Tahar and Pir Zedo were engaged in a tense conversation. Alex pulled one of the blue jackets on and walked over to see what the talk was about. He listened to his brother nodding in agreement. Pir Zedo and Tahar ran into the assembly room looking for the temple elders, and Alex took over directing the group. We must move people up the valley to find places to hide. Tell everyone you see to keep moving up the hill to look for shelter. Rene, Katie, I need your help. These people have to go immediately. He turned around and started moving people standing nearby, urging them to leave, quickly. The rain worsened. The steady drumbeat of the drops increased in intensity. People shouted at each other to be heard above the hammering roar of the storm. Panic overcame the crowd on the patio. The fallen leaves were slippery on the wet stones, and walking was difficult. Kitty looked around. Everyone was suddenly in motion. She started waving her arm. "'Go that way,' she said to those who saw her. "'Go that way, up the valley. Follow the others. Keep going.' Suddenly she saw Becca and Charia with a handful of others heading down the hill toward the parking lot. "'No,' she thought. "'That's where the soldiers are coming from. I've got to stop them.' "'Charia! Becca!' she yelled out. "'Help me, Renee. There are more people here.' She hoped he could hear her, praying her voice was not too muffled by the noise of the rain. Katie ran towards the girls, yelling louder. A young child about ten years old heard Katie and tugged on her mother's thob. The mother stopped and turned. She saw Katie motioning them the other way, warning them away from going into the parking area. The woman called to the girls and the group turned. Seeing they were going the right way, Katie ran to the other side of the parking area to make sure there weren't any more dawdlers. The storm settled in, and the rain came down in a deluge. Kitty was wet, very wet. She stood on her toes, put her hands above her eyes, and strained to see, listening for others. As far as Katie could tell, no one was left behind. She faced into the driving rain to return to her friends. Chadia and Becca sprinted ahead, and Katie ran to catch up. The rain pellets, driven by the whipping wind, stung her cheeks and kept her from looking up, from looking forward. It was coming down in cold sheets now, curtaining her off from everything around her. Suddenly, headlights pierced her isolation, illuminating the thousands of raindrops falling to the ground. "'Run! Hide!' the driver of a jeep yelled at her as it passed. A second jeep followed, men and machine guns mounted on both. Becca jumped backward, crashing into Katie, but avoiding the spray of the water from the tires. They ran up to the jeep when it stopped in the sanctuary plaza. "'Run to the temple!' the driver yelled. The gunners turned and set up a defensive stance, focusing on the headlights coming up toward them through the rain. They began firing at the two pairs of lights. Noise, clamor, and chaos erupted, filling the area with sound. Katie! Becca! Chadia! Renee appeared from out of nowhere. Get down! Run! One of the soldiers in the second jeep yelled at them, twirling the machine gun on its turret. 
He fired. Bam, 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 bam. One, two, three, four, five, six rounds shot down the road at the headlights coming their way. Suddenly, the oncoming headlights went dark and gunfire erupted from the invaders. Zing, 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 ping! Katie heard the bullets ricochet near her. Get down, she hollered to her friends, feeling the cold, wet stone on her face when she dropped to the ground. Cold water seeped under the plastic windbreaker. Boom! The flash from an explosion went off down the road. Now they were throwing grenades or mortars or something much more powerful than bullets. This way, Rene yelled to the ladies from the temple doorway. He could see how vulnerable they were lying on the stone between the jeep and the temple wall. Katie, come now, come, right now! He ran out, pulled her up, and dragged her to the temple entrance. Rene frantically jerked Katie into the alcove of the temple, helped her gain her balance, and rushed back out to guide the others. They were still very exposed. Chadia and Becca stumbled in with Rene a few moments later. Zing, zing, zing! More bullets flew around them. They were right in the middle of the firefight. Bam, 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 bam! Then cha, 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 cha! Katie could hear the difference between the machine guns and the rifles. The gunner in the jeep returned fire and was fired upon again. Sporadic small arms fire came from the others hunkered behind protective walls. After a few minutes of exchange, the firing stopped as the other vehicles revved their engines and slowly came up the road. Suddenly their guns began firing again. Katie could see the flames licking the muzzle of the machine gun. Suddenly, boom! An explosion lit the patio, and the jeeps jumped. An RPG went off twenty feet in front of them. Another round of machine gun fire came their way. Ting, 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 ting! Katie could track the path of the bullets. They seemed to be drifting away from her, moving toward the jeep. After a brief pause in the firing, a renewed burst of pellets continued their march across the wall. Ting, ting, ting! The trail of bullets came toward the jeep again. Ting, 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 ting! Thud, thud! Two rounds hit the gunner who crumbled from his position and fell off the vehicle onto the wet stone. Oh, no! Katie instinctively ran out to him. Katie, no! Katie, stop! Renee ran after her. Now they were both out in the open again with no protection. The machine gun started up again as Katie ran to the fallen gunner. Help me! Help me get him in! She said to another soldier, who helped her roll the wounded man into the jeep. Then both vehicles revved off further to take up a new defensive position. Katie! Renee screamed. Come with me! Now! Turning her from the jeep, he grabbed her hand and pulled her hard and fast toward the temple again. Ting, 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 ting! Renee increased his pace. Hurry, Katie! Hurry! Katie was right behind Renee, and they were almost to a safe place when zing, zing, zing! Suddenly she was stopped and thrown backward by the force of a bullet slamming into her body. Zing, thud, zing! Katie fell. Zing, 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 thud! Renee went down. Katie felt the hard punch of the bullet as it ripped into her left shoulder. The force of the impact caused her to spin around and fall to the ground. Zing, zing, zing! She could hear the bullets coming closer again and was unable to move. Zing, zing, thud! A second bullet slammed into her leg, tearing the flesh and leaving a gaping hole. She felt piercing, hot, searing pain on her shoulder and all down her leg. Lifting her head, she looked at her shoulder. Blood trickled down her arm. She looked down at her leg and saw her pants soaked in blood. It felt hot, like someone threw boiling water on it. She hurt badly. Her whole body was burning. Where is Rene? Is he okay? Anybody? Oh, it hurts. A bullet ripped into the side of Rene's abdomen, and a trickle of warm blood began to stain the shirt under his jacket. He doubled over in pain and collapsed to the ground. It hurt. Hurt like hell. Like he was on fire, as if a thousand knives were digging into his stomach. But Katie was yelling for him. He had to do this. When he looked down the road, they were still coming. The soldiers would be here in a heartbeat. He crawled to her. 
For Katie, time moved in slow motion. Things were going dark. She closed her eyes, and when she opened them again, she saw René beside her. He tried to reach out to her, but his left arm wouldn't move, so he grabbed her with his right hand. She grasped his arm and pain shot through him. Somehow, he managed to pull himself upright and then pulled Katie up with him. They made their way to the temple and stumbled over the threshold. Just as they made it inside, Katie slipped from his hands and crumpled to the floor. No, no, Katie, he cried. She lifted her hand and whispered, Help me, Renee. He took her hands and started to drag her. Two figures appeared in the doorway as Renee pulled her over another threshold. The intruder shot blindly into the temple as Renee kept pulling her further into the darkness. Afraid to follow or too lazy to run inside, one of the soldiers fired an RPG to dispatch the quarry. Renee saw the soldier take aim and quickly pulled Katie backward into a dead-end grotto. They were trapped. There was nowhere to go. Frantically, he looked around. Seeing a small table, a sarcophagus, and a blanket, he pulled the sheet from the casket. He wrapped it around them and pushed Katie into a corner and hugged her close to him. Finding her right hand, he wove his fingers through hers. In a tight embrace, he buried his face in her hair and closed his eyes while the surrounding space exploded into light and fire. A short time later, René regained consciousness and opened his eyes. It was so dark he couldn't see, but he was still under the altar cloth and he was still holding Katie. Her hair fanned out over his face. René felt like he was suffocating. He needed to breathe, but he couldn't free himself. His left arm was useless. He couldn't get it to move, and the fingers of his right hand were in a vice-like death grip with Katie's stiff fingers. When he finally freed his hand from her icy grip, he threw the coverlet off and took a deep breath. Oh, he groaned in agonizing pain. The blast had fractured Renee's ribs, and the deep inhalation was so painful it made him woozy. Turning his head toward the floor, he vomited bloody phlegm, and the movement made the pain slice through him again. When he pulled away the hair from Katie's face, he was alarmed to see she was pale and motionless. He leaned into her, sighed, and nodded. She was still breathing, but it was very shallow. He didn't have much time. Renee rolled away from Katie and tried to stand. They were lying in a narrow space between the altar and the stone wall, and he could pull himself up. Steadying himself with his right hand, he stood up shakily. Each time he inhaled fully, the pain almost overwhelmed him. Panting with short breaths to lessen the pain, he surveyed the surroundings. They were still in the same room, but now it was lit by flickering lights set in the walls. He reached down and pulled the blanket over Katie again. I'm going for help, Katie, he said. She didn't respond. I'll be right back, I promise. He took one more look at her before he stumbled over the stone threshold and made his way outside. End of chapter. Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an ebook, as well as an audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.